Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. We're going to turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 22. And we're going to be going through verses 24 uh, to 38 today. We're going through this this uh, series called History. We've been going through it for like, I don't know, 10 years or something. Um, but uh, this is History uh, Volume 6, and we're getting really close to the end of the book. Um, and we're really looking at some uh, difficult scriptures uh, when we think about what they tell us. Uh, so... Um, Today, I titled the message, Wrestle. And so, how much do you know about wrestling? Uh, you know, I, 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 is there any wrestlers in the house? I, I couldn't think of any. Uh, maybe, Kev, all right, you can keep, you can keep me honest then. Um, now, I'm not talking about the made-for-TV variety of wrestling, right? You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real wrestling. Okay, and so to, uh, so you can understand what real wrestling is. I've got a video to show you that's at a high school state meet. So watch this. You got to be some kind of crazy to do that. <laughs> I mean, were they not going after it? I mean, that's unbelievable. Now you can win a match in, in one of two ways. You can pin your opponent, and then you can get their back on the ground for two seconds. Or if no one gets the pin, you can score points and during the match. And then if the time runs out, you got the most points. That's how you win. So you you, you get uh, let's see, you get two points for a takedown, one point for an escape, two points for a reversal, meaning you're in a defensive position. The guy's on your back, and you do a quick move, and it becomes this, you're in an offensive position. And you can also so score points when your opponent does something illegal. Like they stall for time, say they're ahead and they're just not really wrestling. That's a, you can, that's illegal. You can't, there's certain holds that you, that you can't do. I mean, so people can get hurt doing that. <laughs> well, as you see there, it, it's pretty competitive. And, you know, it's, it's really physically challenging, fast moving, as you see those couple of guys do some real wrestling. Today in Luke, we're gonna do some real wrestling. Uh, there's some wrestling going on in these verses, and they're going to point us to uh, the most difficult opponent that we have to defeat when we wrestle, and that is ourself. So let's, uh, let's read these verses, uh, 24 to 38. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the king of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. 
You are, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, 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 Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word today. It's a treasure to us. It's the bread of life. Uh, It's the light we need for our path. And we are grateful to be able to listen to it, hear about it, and respond to it. And we pray, Father, that you might give us ears to hear and um, give us hearts that will be good soil. For these seeds that will be planted today. Bear fruit even today, Lord, from being here in your house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if we look back just a couple of verses, Jesus just dropped a bombshell on his friends there while they were at dinner. Uh, He said, the hand of the betrayer is with me on the table. And so then they start talking about that and they start questioning each other who it might be. And in the other Gospels, they even turn to Jesus and they start asking him, Lord, is it I? Is it I? So that's the, the, the bombshell that got, uh, that got laid on them. And so then that leads to a, a dispute among them and it leads us to our first match. Wrestle with self-importance. And it's not too hard to imagine how they could go from, Lord, is it I? To, no way, that's me. You know, I mean, think what I left to follow Jesus. Think of the sacrifice that I have made. Think of the, the money I left behind or the family or the job. You know, uh, when I went out, when Jesus sent me out, I did the biggest miracles. I brought back the most followers. You know, and on and on it goes. I made the biggest sacrifice. I made the biggest impact. So I must be the greatest. How does this conversation happen with Jesus in the room? Because we are self-important by nature. This, this is actually the second time that Jesus has had to teach them this lesson. Back in Luke chapter 9, they're walking along the road to Capernaum and they're talking about who is greatest in the kingdom of God. And Jesus stops them and he brings a little child and he says, Hey, if you don't become like this little child, you're not even going to get in the kingdom of God. And so we have a hard time. Learning this lesson. This is a difficult match to win. Jesus flips the argument on its head. He says, hey, you know, the, you know those that are outside of my people, the Gentiles, those kings, and how they, how they lord their leadership over the people? 
You know, you know how they do that? The people in high places, they use their power and position to keep the little people down. Um, they call them benefactors. Uh, meaning they benefit from being in those high places because of those people underneath them. Uh, but not so with you. With you, it should be different. As my follower, it should be different. Those who are on top should move to the bottom. Those who are leaders should become servants. So at dinner, who's the most important person? The one reclining at table or the one serving? Isn't it the guy reclining at table, eating the dinner? But then he says, but I am among you as one who served. I came to be a servant. So I, I think it's kind of easy for us to wag our finger at the, at the disciples here over this. But really we need to realize how important it is, it is to us to be important. The disciples are really just a representative example of, of human beings. You know, we're just like, we're just like a peacock. You know, you ever seen a peacock fan its tail feathers? You know why they do that? They're trying to attract a mate. So the bigger the tail, the wider it is, the more spots on it, the better chance they have of attracting a a female. Did you know there were scientists who stuck a robocam on top of peacocks on the females? I'm serious. And they recorded where they looked. When they were looking at a male, they were like, what What are the females looking at? What are they attracted to? And it was how big the fan was. I mean, okay, it's mind-boggling. There's people out there that are doing that for a living. We're probably paying them. Uh, but uh, anyway, I don't want to go down the road. <clears throat> this is what the disciples are doing here. They're fanning out their sacrifices. They're fanning out their accomplishments. And we should realize we can all tend to fan out. We can all tend to do that. We jockey for position with, with one another. You know, we want people to we want people to see that we are more better than other people. We are wealthier. We are more in shape. We are smarter. We're a better employee. We're a better Christian. Now, we don't usually do it as blatantly as the peacock does it. You know, we're a little bit more subtle with our fanning. Than he is. We drop hints in it in conversation, just like we're talking about life. You know, how was your weekend? You having, are you having a good weekend? You know, you know, it's such a funny thing. Last weekend, I was driving home from church and I got all the way home and I realized, oh, I forgot my Bible. You know, so I just kind of made it. I had to go get it. So I just got back in the car and, and I was on the way up there, you know, and came over the bridge over I-70 and there was a guy walking and he was hitchhiking. Now, normally, I just go by hitchhikers, you know, and uh, but this time, I just felt like the Lord impressed on me, you need to pick this guy up. So I rolled down my window, and I said, hey, where, where do you need to go? And he said, Knightstown. I said, well, let's go. And you know, Knightstown is 25 miles away from where I was. Okay, so he gets in the car, and we start out there, and we're having a conversation the whole time, and he starts telling me he's a truck driver, and his rig's broken down on I-70, you know, and, and then he asks me what I do, and I said, I'm a pastor. And here come the questions. He was going to a Jehovah's Witness meeting. And he had some questions about what he was hearing. If it was true or not. So he opened the door and I just ran right through it. I'm like, dude, you got to know about Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the perfect one. His work on the cross is sufficient for our salvation. 
And we get all the way to his driveway and I prayed for him. And then I left. You know, when I tell stories like that, I always have a bad taste in my mouth when I'm done. I hate it when I do that. And sometimes when I do that, the person that's listening will politely one-up me. You know? They'll just kind of tell me something that they did. And the fans are on display. It is important for us to be important. It is important for us to realize that we like to be important. And it's important for us to wrestle with self-importance. How can we pin this opponent to the mat? Become a servant. Become a servant. Now, I would suggest not even worrying about trying to be less self-important. Okay, because if you actually accomplish that, then it works against you when you realize it. And, you know, it's like the guy who said, I, I've really grown in my humility this year. You know what I'm talking about. That's just a trap. Just, trap. just focus your attention on becoming a servant. And that starts actually in your heart, not with your hands. It starts in your heart. If your heart doesn't grab onto servanthood, if it doesn't have the attitude of the servant, then your body will hardly ever follow. Servants, see, they don't get awards. They don't get pats on the back. They don't get asked to dinner by the boss. They don't get asked to be on the prom committee. Servants get passed over, left out, unrecognized, unappreciated. So why would anybody want to be a servant? Because Jesus came as one who serves. And we follow him. Now that cross that he carried, and he'll be carrying it just a few hours from him saying this, it was his biggest service to mankind. And we can't imagine the pain that he went through. We can't imagine the shame and the suffering that he went through. The abandonment of all of his friends. I'm praying as we get to look at these scriptures, you know, with a magnifying glass as we go through here this Easter. I'm praying the Lord will help us absorb that, that we can understand it better. It can only help us worship God. But he did that to serve mankind. He did that because he loved us. Doing something for us that we could not do ourselves. Remove our sins. So when you get... That Jesus took that cross, not just for mankind, but for this man, for me personally, for you personally. When you get that, that that was done for you personally, it grabs your heart and it never lets go. And when it does, it should cause you to want to do anything for him to anyone, anytime, any place. So the cross, that was his biggest act of service. But if we look at his ministry, his whole ministry was about service, wasn't it? He didn't come to the shepherds of Israel, to the leaders of the flock. He came to the sheep. He came to to the harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Those are the people he came to. He did for them what they could not do for themselves. That's our example for living. Paul, he said it in Philippians 2, 3 to 5. This in the NLT version. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, 
but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. A servant's attitude. So when you can grab a hold of that with your heart, then you're on your way. And every day becomes an opportunity to to serve the Lord. Every day. Everywhere you go. And see, when you've got a servant heart, when you've got an attitude of a servant, you begin to look for opportunities to serve. And you can find those at home. Especially at the kitchen sink. You can find those at work. You can find them here at church. You can find them at school. Opportunities everywhere to be a servant. You can serve when you go to Meyer. When you come to work day on April 13th. So it happens doing the dishes, mowing the yards, cleaning the house, in the nursery, washing a car, tutoring a student. I mean, the list is endless. These are not money-making opportunities. They are not resume-building opportunities. They are opportunities to serve the risen Savior. That's what our life should be about. And walking in Jesus' footsteps, it always has a transforming impact on our hearts. Always. We will always become more like Him. We will always know Him better when we walk in the same way that He walked. And that's a good thing. So this is the manager on the basketball team that never gets interviewed on TV. This is the mom who stayed home with her kids, giving up her career to take care of her family. This is the janitor that works nights at school so the kids, when they come in in the morning, have clean bathrooms. This is the business owner who comes in on Saturdays to make sure everything's all ready for his employees on Monday. See, you don't have to give up your position of leadership to follow what Jesus is saying here. But you do need to bring the attitude of a servant into that role. And when you're, when you're a servant in a leadership role, it'll change the way you use your position and power. Now, Jesus adds something at the end here that kind of helps us win this match. He says, you disciples, uh, you've stuck with me through these difficulties. You have served me. I have seen it. Just like my father's giving me the kingdom, I'm going to give you a portion of the kingdom. You're going to have important places at my table. You're going to be doing important. You'll be in important positions judging the 12 tribes of Israel. See, even when our service goes unnoticed here, when we don't get appreciated when it doesn't seem like anybody sees what we're doing, God does not miss it. He remembers every single thing done in His name and He is going to reward you for it. See, when we're living to be important in His place, it makes it a lot easier to win this wrestling match with self-importance in this place. So become a servant. Beat that self-important opponent. Now, Jesus turns and has a private moment with Peter. And the next wrestling match is introduced here. Wrestling with self-condemnation. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has come to me and asked me that he could sift you as wheat. He wants to test you and see if your faith is genuine. At this point, Jesus has been calling Simon Peter for a while. His new name that Jesus gave him. That, mean, that name means rock. 
So we, we might think of Rocky today, you know. Peter's the Rocky of the disciples. But what he's about to do is going to make the rock crumble. And so he needed to be reminded. Reminded of his old name. The name that's rooted in weakness and in the humanity. He says, hey, Jesus, you need to be, you remember that, that you're not the rock. You're Simon. And Jesus repeated his name because it was important for, it was so important of what he was going to share. So Jesus is saying, Simon, Simon, listen to me. Listen to this. Satan didn't want just to have Judas on his team. He wanted to destroy all the disciples. Okay? So um, when Jesus was speaking to Peter, he wasn't just referring to Peter. He was using a plural pronoun, you. He was saying, Satan has demanded to sift all of you. So he's coming after all of them. Now, sifting is the, the process of separating the, the wheat from the chaff. So it comes in from the wheat field, seeds and chaff all together, pieces of, of the stalk. And what they do is they throw it up in the, in the air and let the wind carry the chaff away and the seed falls back down to the ground. That's sifting. Okay? And so what Satan is saying he was wanting to do to this group is he's wanting to take Jesus' most faithful followers and throw them up into the wind of persecution and trial and see which ones will blow, be blown away by that and which ones are going to fall back down to the solid rock of Jesus. And their faith in him. Now, Satan's biggest wrestling move, his most used technique, is accusation. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan is the accuser of the brothers. And so Peter, here he is, he's about ready to deny he even knows Jesus, not once, but three times. And he's going to do that after Jesus told him he was going to do that. And so Peter hears Jesus' warning, and he hears his comfort that he will, he will, he's been praying for him so that after he's failed, he can get back to work. And how does Peter respond? No, Lord, I will not fail you. I am ready to go to prison for you. I am ready to die for you. And then Jesus tells him before the rooster crows, even this day, even just a few hours from this comment, you're going to deny me three times. We know how the story goes. Jesus, Peter does just what Jesus tells him he would do. I, I just can't imagine the grief that Peter felt. The sorrow, the shame, the guilt. Can you imagine doing that? Have you ever tasted any of that? Because see, it's when you're in that moment when the accuser comes and he starts accusing you. He starts to tell you that you're no good. He reminds you of what you've done. He reminds you of your oath to never do it or never do it again. How could you do that? So-and-so would never do that. How could you think that? How could you say that? 
What kind of evil is inside of you that would cause you to do such bad things? You're trash. You're no good. You're worthless. And then the self-condemnation comes. As we see what we did wrong and agree with that, we end up agreeing with the other. I must be no good because I can't do good. There's a picture of this wrestling match. It's actually found in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Let me read this to you. Then the angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusation, Satan. Yes, the Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, Take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, See? I have taken away your sins. And now I am giving you these fine new clothes. And when we find ourselves in the hold of the accuser, when he's in that offensive position and we're listening to his accusations, it's like this scene right here. Satan is making public uh, what we've done in the dark. Bringing on the shame. Bringing on the guilt. And what he's saying is true. His accusations are true. There's dirt on our clothes. And there's nothing we can do to hide it. And there's nothing we can do to get it off. We can't clean it. Nothing. And so we stand there, helpless, head down, ashamed. And we begin to believe the lie that we are no good, that we are worthless and have no value and we aren't lovable. But you have to understand something. There is a big difference between who you are and what you do. A big difference. The accused in this picture does nothing. The Lord speaks up for him and rejects Satan's accusation. He gives the order to replace those dirty clothes with a new set, fresh and clean. Why would he do this? Why would he do it? The dirt's there for everybody to see. Because of the blood of Jesus that covers up us from all sin. Very often in the Old Testament, when you read the angel of the Lord, you can read there Jesus. Jesus orders these new clothes. He's the one who has the authority to do that. Here is the gospel. Here we find the grace of God poured out on us because the Son of God poured out his life for us. And so when we're in the hold of this accuser, and the self-condemnation's loud in our ears. How do we get back on top? How do we do a reversal there and gain a couple points? We have to put on the new clothes. Now Romans 13, 14 says, Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a first time that you do that when you first believe in Jesus. That He is the Son of God. That He has never had any dirt on His clothes. And even though he didn't, he took all of the dirt of mankind on himself and shed his blood on the cross. And when we believe in him, our dirty sins, stains are taken away and we are given a brand new set of clothes that is white as snow. 
Bible says, though your sins were scarlet, I've made them white as snow. One good thing when you go out and see the snow. To remember. So when you believe in Jesus, you confess this dirt. Yes, God, this is what I've done. But you ask for his forgiveness because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And when that happens, you get a brand new set of clothes. So there's a first time for that. But thankfully, there is not a last time for that. It's not just a once in a lifetime experience. It can be a daily experience for a believer. Because we're going to go out today and we're going to get dirty again. Some way, some shape or form, the dirt's going to come back. And we do the same thing. When, when we get dirty and we feel that shame, we feel that guilt, whatever it might be, however little much it is, the accuser shows up and says, see, see that profession of faith you made, it wasn't real. You're not really different. You're still doing the same things. Self-condemnation will keep you running from God and hiding from God. It will keep you from turning back in repentance. And it will keep you from doing the will of God in your life. And so what do we do? We have to remember and review who we are in Christ. So we put on the new clothes. In Christ you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. In Christ you are a son or daughter of the living God and he will never disown you. There is nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. In Christ you are worthy. You are holy. You are chosen. You are loved. You are liked. You are his special possession, irreplaceable, and you are secure in his hands. You are all of those things and you are more. And all of this because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So to defeat this opponent of self-condemnation, we believe in Jesus and we believe in who we are in Christ and we review that when the accuser comes. We've got to remember it. We've got to review it. Because he will accuse you. The next time you do something wrong, the accusations are going to come. You've got to get that reversal done. You know, Score a couple points in the match. Get back on top. Because when you do, you know, like Jesus said to Peter, strengthen your brothers. I'm sure he's going to tell you something to do. There's work to do. Jesus has things for you to do. We won't do it when we're living under self-condemnation. Now, the final verses today can be a little bit of a head-scratcher. But I'm pretty sure they're leading us to wrestle with self-preservation. So Jesus, he turns back to the whole group and he gives them some final instructions here. He says, remember how I sent you out before. That happened in Luke 9. Sent you out with no money bag, no knapsack. Don't, you're not going with provisions to take care of yourself. You need to trust God to take care of you through God's people. So that's how I sent you out before. Now you need to take provisions with you. See, the work ahead that you're about to get ready to do is different than, than it was before when you were sharing the gospel with God's people, Israel. You're getting ready to walk into the world of the Gentiles who have no regard for God. And so we've got to prepare differently. We've got to think differently because you're going to be treated differently. 
And he says, in fact, if you don't have a sword, you better sell your coat and buy one. What? (laughs) Jesus, what are you saying? I mean, it sure sounds like he's saying, arm yourselves for battle. That's exactly what the disciples thought. I mean, they go hunting for swords. They find a couple. Jesus says, that's enough. This is one of those places that it's helpful to look at other places in the Bible, other scriptures, to help us interpret what Jesus is saying here. So as this chapter continues, Peter takes Jesus' words literally, and he's in the garden, Jesus being arrested, he takes the sword out, cuts the servant's ear off. What does Jesus respond with? No more of this. No more violence. Now that's clear. We can understand that, can't we? Clear instruction to all the followers of Jesus that we will not advance the kingdom of God through violence. Through force. It's not the way Jesus, the way of Jesus. And so when we remind our, we rewind a few verses here. We can know that Jesus is not telling his disciples to prepare for a physical war. He's telling them to prepare for a spiritual war. So the secret really is in verse 37. The scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered among the transgressions. Jesus says, this is talking about me. So he's instructing his disciples to prepare for this spiritual war that that is going to bring persecution and trial and suffering on Jesus' followers, just like it came upon Jesus. And so the sword is a symbol, a symbol of war and a symbol of, of conflict. Now, the spiritual war is a battle that we've got to get involved in. Jesus is wanting his disciples to engage. He's wanting, he wants us to get on the front lines, and that takes some preparation. You need to know the Word of God. You need to have it in your head and in your heart. You need to be able to recount it. You need to know how to pray. You need to know how to witness. You need to know how to evangelize. All of these things are are preparation for getting ready to go to war. If you don't know God's word, if you don't have these provisions, what happens when the spiritual war comes to your doorstep, you'll shrink back from that in self-preservation. When there's an opportunity to speak up, we will stay silent. When there's an opportunity to go, we'll stay home. When there's danger involved, we'll try to stay safe. When there's a person in need, we'll stay away because we don't want to get involved in that mess. And we cannot let this war paralyze us into staying silent, staying home, staying safe, or staying away. Jesus is counting on his disciples to fight this battle. What can we do to win the match with self-preservation? Well, think about your, your provisions about what your provisions for the battle. Have you been trained for battle? Do you know how to fight? Do you know your Bible? Do you know how to read it? Do you know how to feast on it so it can be a guide for your life? Do you know how to pray? In the closet at home and over people, wherever you might run into them, do you know how to pray? How's your faith? 
Is it living? Is it active? Maybe it's time to, to take the faith out and exercise a little bit in the wrestling ring. Prepare. Are you alone? Or do you have a body of people in this body of believers that knows you, that loves you, that's praying for you, that cares about you, that's holding you accountable so that your Sunday life looks the same as your Monday to Saturday life? All of these things are ways to prepare to wrestle against self-preservation. We want to realize this, that I would say that it is really common that most of us, when we think about the spiritual war, when we think about prayer, when we think about the Bible, when we think about leading someone to Christ, most of, it would, most of us would immediately say, man, I need more preparation. I need, I, you know, I, I don't know God's word well enough. I, I really don't know how to pray. I, I've never led anyone to Christ before. I've never even brought him up before. I need to be told how to do that. I need to be, I need to be taught. Well, and I would agree with that. Get some preparation. But actually, for most of us, we've already had the preparation. And the only way we're going to grow beyond that is to go out and do some on-the-job training. But don't worry, you're not by yourself. you got the Holy Spirit in there. He'll help you. Okay, so we, we've, we've got this war to fight. And we go out there and we speak up and we tell somebody. We tell somebody about Jesus. We see somebody in need and we meet their needs. We get involved in their life. We give our life to that. So you go where the Spirit's going to lead you. And He's going to lead you. I promise you. He's going to lead you to the uncomfortable places in life. To the messy people in your life. He's going to lead you to get involved. So you can give up your life. Because that's what the Christian life is. I want to close introducing you to a lady. Her name is Lavinia. And she's somebody who has defeated all of these uh, opponents, self-importance, self-condemnation, self-preservation. She's defeated all of them. And she's going to show you through her, through her testimony that it, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very simple. And it, it is not impossible that God could use you to follow him in the ways of Jesus. So let Lavinia encourage your heart. She has a light of life on her face, doesn't she? We have a worship team come back up. Nothing easy about wrestling. You know, I was thinking this morning, as you hear about these wrestling matches, you might think, oh, I'm, just, I'm just not doing good here. I'm wrestling with every single one of these. But I want you to be encouraged by that. Because wrestling means that you're in Christ. That when you struggle with these things, it means... Because there's people who don't struggle with self-importance. They just think, you know, they're God's gift to mankind. Anyway, I think of another thing about it. So, the struggle is actually evidence of a saved person's heart. And so we're wrestling. And so you might feel like, oh, you know, I'm vulnerable. So but the question is just, you know... What do I need to do to get back on top today? Servanthood is waiting. 
revealing who you are in Christ when the accuser comes. Offering yourself to God, your whole life to Him, to be able to go where He wants you to go. And that's what we're going to sing about here as we close. We have a chance to just offer ourselves to Him. Let's stand together. How can you get back on top? Heavenly Father, we thank you for time today to be with you and be with each other and and worship and and hear your word. And we we can feel the wrestling, Lord, as we hear Jesus' words today. Uh, But I know that your Holy Spirit resides in us and in his power and his strength, we can go out and walk in the footsteps of Jesus, whether it's being a servant or being reminded of who we are in Him or going out there and giving ourselves away. Lead us, Lord Jesus, today. Use us today. We are Your servants for Your glory. And all God's people said, Amen.